Our scripture reading from today comes from Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and king's folk are born to share adversity. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Man, let me just confess just a spirit of jealousy. Um, I mean, Eli got like an Indiana Jones satchel for his Bible. Where, where was that? When I was in third grade, I mean, God, that's so cool. So awesome. Well, I'm very excited about today's sermon. I'm going to quiz you right here at the beginning. I want you to, to, to finish this, this, this song for me, okay? You got a... You got a... I mean, is there any more beautiful expression of friendship than Andy and Woody? Everybody who hasn't seen Toy Story is like, what is Charlie talking about? Which, if you haven't seen Toy Story, you need to go watch it. It's beautiful. I mean, I'm not afraid to tell you that I've cried many times. Toy Story 1, cried. Toy Story 2, cried. Toy Story 3, a little scared, but then I cried. Okay? (laughs) Toy Story 4, cried. Here's why. Here's why I think we cry. Because we see shared between Woody and Andy what what we really want, what our heart really desires. A kind of friendship that can survive Buzz Lightyear showing up. A new friend that can survive um, a injury. You remember when Woody's arm got tore? He didn't get to go to cowboy camp? Come on now. (laughs) Remember that? Or you remember when, when... when Andy went off to college and his relationship with Woody changed, some people are crying right now. That's what our heart desires. Our heart desires to have a relationship with someone that can sustain us and can survive the trials and the hardships of life. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Today's sermon is, you've got a friend in me. And our signature scripture today is found in the book of Proverbs. Now, the book of Proverbs is found in the Old Testament. It's found in the the first half of the Bible, roughly. And the book of Proverbs is is a, a type of literature that focuses on moral and ethical instructions. Proverbs focus, Proverbs, Proverbs way of blessing us is to guide us to live wise and godly lives in our attitudes, in our conduct and in our personal character. And I find it absolutely interesting that in, a, that in a section of Scripture focused on helping us live godly and wise lives, we find Proverbs 17, 17. We find Proverbs 17, 17 telling us, a friend loves at all times. Here's what I find even more fascinating about where we find Proverbs 17, 17. Chapter 17 is a section of scripture that that most scholars attribute to King Solomon. We we think that most likely King Solomon was the the author of this section of Proverbs. And you might remember that King Solomon was the man, when he was given an opportunity to ask anything of God, he asked for wisdom and became the most wise and knowledgeable man of his day. And Solomon, uh, presumably, we assume he wrote Proverbs to instruct his son, we see some indication of that, but also to instruct 
his students. But we also know that these words of wisdom have benefited men and women for generations. The truths found in the book of Proverbs are timeless. So they apply to you and me as well. See, I, I believe, I believe that Proverbs 17, 17 is implying that friendship is a necessary ingredient for us if we want to live wise and godly in our attitudes and our conduct and our personal character. I believe just who wrote it and where it's located in the Bible leads me to believe that friendship is a necessary ingredient for us to live the kind of godly lives that God is calling us to. Now, let me share with you, because friendship is talked throughout Scripture, but we don't always find that specific word, friendship, being used. Sometimes you might hear some of these synonyms like friend, brother, companion, spouse, neighbor. Some of those words that are used in Scripture are really talking about friendship. And my hope is that when you heard that word neighbor, that, that your mind was triggered to think about some of the most important teachings of Jesus. Because Jesus in Matthew twenty two thirty nine, 39, he said that we should love our neighbors as ourselves. We should love our neighbors as ourselves. And in that moment of bringing that teaching, he, he tells us a shocking thing. He says, that is one of two of the greatest commandments in all of Scripture. He even goes so far as to say that all of Scripture hinges on that commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, and the first great commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. So here's what I think is very clear. I think it's very clear that being and having a friend is important to God. I believe that. I believe it's important to God that you have friends. I think it's important to God that you are a good friend. But the question that, that we find ourselves asking, I think a lot of times is, what does it mean to be a friend? What does it mean? Because there's a lot of confusion. I think there's a, just a Grand Canyon-sized difference between being friendly and being a friend. I think there's a big difference between those two. And again, our verse tells us how friends should act. Our verse tells us that friends love. Again, it's like we were talking about earlier with that gratitude. It's almost too simple. It's almost, it's almost too clear cut. Friends love. And that word that is used for love, in Proverbs 17, 17, remember, we, we translate the, the Old Testament from the Hebrew language, so it's not always a word-for-word -word translation. Uh, that word that was used, that we translated as love, it, it, its meaning is to have an, an affection for. When, when Jesus talked about loving your neighbor, he used another Hebrew word, agapeo, which means to have affection, personal attachment a matter of sentiment or a feeling, but it also means, and I think this is the important one for us in terms of friendship, it also means to delight in. To love like a friend means to delight 
For us, that means that, that we should be, and when I say we, I'm talking about those who count themselves as followers of Christ. We should be the kind of people that purposefully and intentionally within the circle of influence that we have, delight in and have affection for others. That's what that means. That we have this calling as Jesus followers to delight in those that God allows to be within our circle of influence. Now, that's really easy when we're getting along, right? It's really easy when we're getting along. When it becomes complicated and when it becomes painful is when we have conflict or misunderstanding. Anybody, else, anybody in here ever had a conflict or misunderstanding with a friend? Oh, just me? Just me and three other people? Okay, hey, that's fine. That's between you and the Lord. Yeah, I'm praying for you. Me and Mike, I see Mike back there. Thank you for being honest, Mike. That's okay. It's okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get you later. It's all right. We all, if we're honest, we have conflict and we have misunderstandings with friends. But here's the deal. Our verse for today says that we're not only supposed to, to love our friends when we get along. It says that we are to love at all times. This scripture that was written by the wisest man of his time, Solomon, leaves no room for stopping love because of conflict or misunderstanding. It leaves no room for you to say, well, they hurt my feelings. It leaves no room for, well, they shouldn't have said that. Or they weren't there for me. It says, those who are friends love at all times. It doesn't say we'll always get along or always agree, but we will always, we'll be committed to love. We are called in friendship to love during the daytime, during the nighttime, in the mornings before coffee. Help us, Jesus, right? In the evenings right after work, uh, in the afternoons, on Saturdays when we're driving the kids here and there. We are called to love in all frames of time throughout the entire day. Every minute of every day, in every circumstance, we are called to love. And like I said, that's really easy. When we're getting along, it's a challenge when we don't get along. And it's a challenge because it's important. God expects you and me to cooperate with him in loving people. And his, one of his primary conduits of doing that is friendship. He intends for us to love those that he puts in our circle of influence so that we can participate in his plan of growing that person and transforming them into deeper and stronger levels of godliness. See, I think we all intuitively understand that, that, our, that our friendship with God is important, that spending time with God is important, but God also designed us to be in loving relationships with one another. God never expected for us to live this life alone. Never expected us to live, live this life alone. We even see that indicated in Genesis 1 and 2. It's not good for man to be alone. But man was with God. He wasn't alone. Yeah, but he didn't have anybody else like him to be in relationship with. 
And here, here's what I think is especially important. This is why we're talking about friendship in a relationship series, because friendship is a gift from God. I, I absolutely believe that. Friendship is a gift that God gives us, but I think that gift is especially magnified in the loving relationship of marriage. From the very beginning, from the very beginning, like I said, Genesis 1 and 2, God gave man a companion to be his spouse. So I think now our question should be, what does it mean to be a friend? If God gave us this companion, what does it mean to be a friend to our spouse? Let me give you a few qualities of what that looks like, what a, what a friendship within a spousal relationship, some of the qualities that it should include. Uh, a friendship with your spouse should include constancy. It should be consistent. Again, our scripture says, love, friends love at all times, especially during adversity, arguments, difficulties, disagreements. True friends stick close. They are always there for you even when you're angry, and even when you disagree with them. They, they purposefully love you in a way that says, even though we're not on the same page, I'm not going anywhere. I'm gonna be here for you and support you. And we can, we can infer that expectation because that's the, that's the quality of God's friendship with us. God's love for us is not contingent on us doing everything right. God's contingent on, us, on, on loving us is not based on whether we always do what he asks us to do or we always, ask, or we always act the right way. It's, it's driven by his love for us. That's what drives God's friendship, and that should drive our friendship towards one another, especially towards our spouses. Another essential quality of, of friendship is, is transparency and candor. Real friends have the courage to, to be affectionate and affirming towards one another. Real godly friendship doesn't include tearing one another down or, or manipulating one another for control or, or verbal abuse. But real friendship, real godly friendship does offer healthy critique. In other words, real friends tell each other the truth even when they don't want to hear it. Let me, let me read for you some, some challenging words, again, from Proverbs. This is in chapter 27, verses 5, 6, and 9. Listen to this. An open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a severe friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. The heartfelt counsel of a friend is a sweet perfume and incense. Wow. Wow. Better are the wounds of a friend than the kisses of an enemy. What that means is sometimes we're gonna hurt each other with the truth. And here's my concern with that teaching. Here's my concern for us in our culture today. I think in our culture today, we are so easily offended. We're so easily offended. I think many times we may be unintentionally avoiding the wounds of our friends and in turn, embracing the kisses of our enemy. That's my concern for us. My, my concern is that um, we forget that not all truth feels good. Not all truth feels good. In fact, our friends in our lives should be a lot like surgeons. Our friends in our lives should have permission and should have built up trust so that they can cut us in order to heal us. 
As we said throughout uh, many, many months and years in this church, there is no healing without pain. And sometimes we need our friend to bring that pain so that we might be healed. Now, let me add another but here. Our friends are supposed to act like surgeons. And the Bible clearly tells us in Proverbs that the wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. But, that, but God's word doesn't give us permission to be flippant with our friend's feelings either. Uh, Ephesians 4.15 reminds us that we are to speak the truth in love. So yes, the truth might hurt, but how we share the truth should never hurt. That's crucial. Sometimes we think, well, this is going to hurt, so I might as well make it hurt twice as much by raising my voice and saying something hurtful. No, that's not what God's word is saying. Allow his truth to wound, but never allow how you share his truth to wound. See, real friendship is the way that the Bible describes it is rare. As a pastor, I come across so many people who don't really have any friends. They have a lot of people they're friendly with, but they don't really have any deep friends. Many times, we only find that friendship within our spouse and or in two or three really close people. And I have to tell you, for me, I've been blessed that I have several men in my life that I think describe this friendship. Um, Les Sharp, Roman Asbill, Rick Enns, Mikey Littow, and the one I want to talk about today, uh, Kendall Meek. I'm blessed to have these men in my life. Uh, Today, like I said, I want to talk about Kendall. Kendall was originally my Wesley director, and he was my, my teacher, and I was his student. But then over the 19 years that we've remained in relationship with one another, uh, he's become one of my very close friends. And let me just be honest with you. I have lost count how many times Kendall has wounded me with the truth. I've lost count how many times I've left his house or I've hung up the phone or I've ignored his text message because what he said wounded me and made me mad. But I never doubted that he said it because he loved me. And he wanted what was best for me. I may not have liked it, but I had to accept that he said it because he loved me. We all need friendships like that. And we all, and my hope is that we all have marriages and relationships that are moving towards marriage that have that quality. Now, one of the most beautiful aspects of friendship, one of the, one of the aspects that I think is, is so often missed in marriage, when we have a godly friendship that's based on God's guidance, there's safety. You can let down your guard. You can be honest. You can be vulnerable. You can say, I don't know. Or, I don't, I don't like where I'm at. We all need that kind of safe place. So much of our world forces us to put walls up and protect ourselves. But Bryn Brown says, one of my favorite authors, she says, you can't selectively close off your heart. You have one heart. And if it's closed off, it's closed off. You can't close your your heart off to the world and then it be open to your spouse and to your kids and to to your church. So we need that safety so that we can keep our hearts soft and open and vulnerable to God's movement and God's action. I think it's clear that I, that I believe that you and your spouse should be best friends. And if you're not, that's okay. What that means is that your marriage has room to grow, like all of our marriages do, like my marriage does. I, I could be a much better friend than I am now. 
Y'all hear an amen? That's good. Thanks, Christine. I appreciate that. She kept it inside. Internal amen. I appreciate it. So, let me just share with you from Genesis 2. Again, I want to affirm God's intent. In Genesis 2.19, the Lord said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. I'll make him a helper as his partner. For us, that's like, okay, yeah. You know, we're a team. We get that. But in the culture in which Genesis 2.19 would have been read originally, that would have been shocking and game-changing. Let me read for you what Timothy Keller says in his book, The Meaning of Marriage. And quick plug, everybody who's married or will ever be married or anybody who's been divorced needs to read The Meaning of Marriage by Timothy Keller. Phenomenal book. I highly recommend it. But he says this, In an age when women were often seen as a husband's property and marriage was mainly a business deal and arrangement seeking an increase in the family's social status and security, it was startling for the Bible to describe a spouse in this way, to describe a spouse as a partner, describe marriage as a mutually edifying relationship. It would have shocked the culture of the day. But honestly, I think if we're being honest, it's just as shocking for our culture. In our culture, marriage may not be seen as this social status, a way of, of increasing your rank within culture, but in, in our society, oftentimes the emphasis on marriage is on romance and on sex. It, it's, it's, do I find this person attractive? Do, do I have chemistry with them? That's what it, it emphasizes, rather than, than a focus on a, a godly companionship that is mutually edifying. See, the primary goal of Christian marriage is not social status, it's not stability, it's not uh, primarily based on romantic or emotional happiness as our culture describes it today. The primary goal of marriage is that these two people make a commitment to participate in what God is doing to grow the other. Sometimes that's literal participation. I'm gonna affirm you, I'm gonna pray for you, I'm gonna wound you with the truth. Sometimes it's literally just staying out of God's way. Both of those are necessary. But that's the hope of marriage. That's the hope of marriage, that when these two become one, what he adds and what she adds will be magnified in God's hands so that both become who God has created them to be. That's the goal. But we miss that when we forget that we're supposed to be friends. Because you can't have that if you're not safe with one another. You can't have that if you don't know one another. So many husbands and wives, I see they're like ships passing in the night. It's like, see ya, I'm on the way to take the kids to soccer. Okay, well, I'm on my way to take the kids to ballet. And it's just, You see, lovers, they spend a lot of time face-to-face. Oh, you're so cute. Oh, you're so cute. You know, heart-eyed emoji, right? That's what lovers do, and that's important. But friends, they work side-by-side with one another. They are next to each other, focused on a task and what they can accomplish together, shoulder-to-shoulder. And you gotta be friends to do that. 
So I'm gonna invite the worship team back up and I, and I wanna say this while they're coming back up. We talked about a lot, but don't make it complicated, okay? If you're sitting there to yourself and you're thinking, I, I could be a better friend to my spouse or I wanna learn to be a, a better friend uh, to my roommate, I wanna, you know, godly love them and encourage them, don't make it complicated, okay? Just invest what we call shoulder-to-shoulder time with them. Figure out something that both of you could do together, okay? If you really want to get creative, figure out something that you're both bad at that you could do beside each other, okay? If it doesn't go well, we offer free pastoral counseling for all marriages, okay? But just spend time with one another. Take those stupid quizzes on social media that that tell you, you know, your love language or or whether, you know, uh, you're... you know, what animal you would be. Just get to know one another. Mark out some time when you tell your kids, hey, this is me and mom's time. We're gonna sit on this couch for 30 minutes and we're not gonna answer any questions from the kids unless you're, you're bleeding, you're broken, or you're dead, don't come talk to us. I mean, think about that. Couples, think about that. Let, let me, let me, let me uh, wound you a little bit with the truth. When was the last time you had 30 minutes of focused time on your spouse? where all you had to worry about was looking at your spouse in the face and listening to their words, translating those words internally, and then responding back to those words. How long has it been? It's been too long for me and my spouse. I'll tell you that right now. Because it's hard. But committing to this is literally participating with God in making your spouse who God intended for them to be. And what could be more important than that? What could be more important than that? But we we let that get drowned out by the ways of the world, by deadlines and, and bills to pay and budgets to do and taking the kids here and taking the kids there. The world is drowning out one of the most important and most beautiful things that you could participate in. Watching and participating in God making your spouse who they have called to be. We're missing it. And so what I wanna do, we're gonna, we're gonna sing a song and I'm gonna just tell you that the altar is open. If you and your spouse wanna come forward and, and pray together and just say, hey, let's be better friends, great. If you and your spouse wanna come forward and pray for another couple that you know are struggling and, and lift them up in prayer, great. If you are single and you're like, oh Lord, please teach this lesson to my future husband so I don't have to teach it to him or my future wife so I don't have to teach it to her, whatever, the, the altar is open. And this is a chance for God to do a mighty work in marriages. And you're invited to participate in that. So the altar's open and you're invited.